0: You know, nobody has ever asked me, how come your church doesn't give out palms on Palm Sunday? And uh, probably I would tell them, because when I was in the eighth grade at St. Elizabeth's uh, Catholic School, uh, I had a bad experience with palms. So I just wanted to let you know that's probably the reason why. And what happened was, uh, one day the nun called like four of the most troublemakers in the class to go down to the principal's office. I said, I didn't do anything this time. You know, I'm really innocent, you know. Uh, so they, they sent us down to the principal's office, and the principal, uh, st- instead of telling us that, that we were going to get punished, really gave us punishment by sending us over to the back of the church, which was right across, Marie, remember, was right across from the, from the, uh, the parking lot. And, and we went uh, into this little room uh, where there were these boxes and boxes filled with palms. And and our responsibility, the, the the four kids that caused the most trouble in the class, our responsibility was to take the palms and to separate them because they come in big clusters, and there's bugs in there, and there's, you know, just, it's just it was just a bad experience. I mean, for, for days I just dreamt of, of stripping palms, stripping palms. And so, so if anybody asks you that's why our church doesn't give up, not really. You know, I, I, I think probably, you know, the event that uh, we talk about uh, as uh, Palm Sunday is probably one of the most misunderstood events um, in the Gospels. Uh, if you have a Bible and maybe it's New King James or New American Standard and a lot of other translations to, to kind of help readers, the editors put like little headings over different chapters and paragraphs. And 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 usually they call this the triumphal entry. And and you may have heard people talk about the triumphal entry, the victorious entry, the, 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 the entry into Jerusalem by Jesus, you know, and, and all the shouts of praise and Hosanna and, and all the stuff that was <clears throat> going on. I would like to suggest to you an alternate title. See, I really think they missed, they missed the mark on this. I, I would not call it the triumphal entry. I would call it the tearful entry. The tearful entry, because, because in my opinion, the 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 message of Palm Sunday is God providing what was most needed, not what was most wanted. God providing what was most needed, not what was most wanted. Now here's the thing. The General public was anticipating and expecting a messiah that didn 't look anything like Jesus of nazareth didn 't look like anything that was meek and and gentle and mild and coming into the city riding on a on a donkey they were looking for they were looking for a hero that would break the yoke of roman oppression they, they, they were looking for for, for someone to come in like David or like Joshua and lead the armies of Israel, raise up armies, and then, and then lead those armies to kick out the Roman Empire, to send Pontius Pilate, to give him the boot. Kind of a pun on Italy, send them back to Italy. You know, but I mean, that, that was their hope. That was their anticipation. That was their expectation. We, we, we want the good old days. We want to get back to where we once were before the glory under Solomon's reign, the glory under David's reign. We want to extend the border. We don't want to pay tribute to foreign governments anymore. We want want the Gentile nations to pay tribute to us. This was was their, their hope and their anticipation. But Jehovah had something else in mind. He had something better planned for them. Rather than delivering them from... Roman dominion, he was going to deliver them from satanic dominion and satanic oppression. He was going to send his son to deliver us from the power of sin and in the process be the death to death by his own sacrifice of himself. You know, this day that Jesus allowed the people to proclaim him as king was so out of character for Jesus. I mean, it, it was such a a different uh, agenda for the Lord Jesus in so many ways. Because, I mean, if if you think about it, he was constantly trying to make light of public exposure. Uh, for example, in Mark, or rather Matthew sixteen, when Jesus asked the question of the disciples, you know, "Who do men say that I am?" and Peter gave that 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 you know, memorable response. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, you know. And Jesus then strictly told his disciples, do not make that known. Don't say anything about that. When he uh, raised uh, the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus back to life, resuscitated her back into, into life, he, he said to the parents, don't, don't tell anybody about this and give her something to eat. When he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was shining brighter than that of, you know, the glory of God, I mean, was on him. Who he really was, was being revealed, speaking to Moses and Elijah about his decease that was to be accomplished at Jerusalem. He comes down from the mountain and he tells, he, tells, he tells Peter, James, and John, don't tell anybody what you've seen until after the Son of Man has, has Arisen from the dead. Uh, In in John chapter 6, at the height of public exposure, when when I guess he couldn't help it because he had just fed uh, thousands of people with with loaves and fishes, right? It says this about him in John chapter 6. After the people saw the miraculous sign that he did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force. Imagine the presumption. But their desire, their, their excitement was to make Jesus king by force, but rather he withdrew to a mountain by himself. He took every measure to avoid being held as king because his hour had not yet come. In fact, that's what he said to his own family. In, in John chapter 7, the Bible says that his own brothers, J- James and, and Jude and, and others, did not believe upon him. And they, were, and they were kind of, you kind of read between the lines here, they were upset with him. One, one understanding is they tried to restrain him. And then, and then they said, all right, if, if we can't stop him, then go up to the feast in Jerusalem and show yourself. Because if you're really doing these miracles that we hear reported about you, then show yourself openly. Nobody does this secretly. And Jesus said to them, my hour has not yet come. But when his hour did come, Jesus initiated the events of this day. It was Jesus who told two of his disciples to go and there they'll find a donkey and a colt, a young, a young colt tied there. And, and when you loose him, he said, he said, if anybody says to you, you know, what are you doing? You know, taking those animals. And, and he said, just, just tell them the Lord has needed them. So in his omniscience, he knew and he initiated the events that took place this day. Behold, your king is coming lowly and sitting on a donkey. The Passover was just a, a few days uh, ahead of him. The Passover, when the priests would select the lambs that would be offered in sacrifice to commemorate that, that great day of deliverance, the Lamb of God, who was about to take away the sin of the world, was presenting himself to the nation as the king of Israel. Why did he do this? It was to fulfill the promise. The promise that one would come just in this manner. God providing what was needed most, not what was wanted most. You really need to see that this morning. But when he does so, he always does it beyond men's expectations. You know, at first appearance, you know, you think of Pomp's Sunday, you think of Jesus coming into Jerusalem you know the the people throwing out the red carpet. You know throwing the palms in, in the in the road and taking their clothes off. off. And and uh, you, you think about the celebration, the shouts of 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 hosanna. You know you think of it as a, as a day of great joy. But I want to tell you, it wasn't a gr- a day of great joy for Jesus, because Luke tells us. In fact, each of the four gospel writers, which tells us that this was an important event in the in the. The acceleration of this last week, so each of the gospel writers recorded. But but Luke says that there's there's something going on here that 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 everybody isn't getting. Something's going on here that even the disciples aren't aren't getting. As Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem, he begins to weep, and he's weeping. Tears are flowing out his eyes. Here is Emmanuel, God, with us, fully God, fully man, weeping over a lost city for lost people. And they don't get it. My uh, dad uh, had a butcher shop in East New York, Brooklyn. It was, I, you know, I never f- figured out what, why'd they ever call it East New York if it was Brooklyn but it was on the border between Brooklyn and Queens. And that's, I guess, that's the reason why they came up with that name, East New York. And and and, and he had, you know, he came to this country when he was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, he, he did well for himself. And and over the course of time, you know, he, he owned this butcher shop. And he had spent many years, probably tw- 25, maybe more, maybe 30 years uh, working that shop. And, and the shop was good to him. And and he raised a family, and he bought a house, and he lived the American dream. But over the course of time, the neighborhood changed, the clientele changed, and, and business what it wasn't what it was, and he had to relocate, and we found another location. I was 18 years old at the time, and, and I was standing right next to Dad when he was putting the lock on the door for the last time. And, and, and he began to cry. And as an 18-year-old, I didn't get it. I didn't understand, why are you crying? You know, he had a, he had a history uh, in that place that he was walking away from. And I didn't get it. How much more on, on, on this day, this first Palm Sunday, They didn't get the the tears. They they, they didn't understand the sorrow that he was experiencing. They didn't get it because because the history was going to be closed on this people in their lost condition, in this lost city. Listen to how Luke puts it. Luke chapter 19 verse 41 says, And he approached Jerusalem. He saw the city. He wept over it. He wept over. This this is not a man, you know, just brushing a tear away from his eye to try to regain kind of like an emotional, you know, composure. No, this is weeping. This is is Jesus on the the few occasions that the gospel records that Jesus wept. here's, here's, Here's one of the central ones. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from you. It's hidden from you. Your eyes won't be able to see it. You're not going to get it because of the rejection that was about to take place. The days, he says, will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. You didn't recognize, you didn't understand. It was God who was coming to you. That was fulfilled in seventy AD. The the, the armies of Tiberius encircled and, and, and destroyed Jerusalem when the believers in Jesus saw that they they exited. They, they took the warnings that Jesus gave them in Matthew 24 about when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, go, go to Petra, go to the, to the rocks for, for refuge. But they didn't get it. They didn't see it. Do you realize how profoundly tragic this is? How profoundly tragic this day is amidst the shouts of praise and excitement and, 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 and all the anticipation of, of Hosanna! See, when they said Hosanna, they were saying, "Save us!" But they weren't saying, "Save us from our sins." They were saying, "We're pretty okay. We're, we're all right. We got the temple. We got Moses. We got the law." But we need is we need a, we need a political solution to our problem. We need a national hero to come and kick, and kick Rome out of out of out of this place. That, that, that's what, what what they were thinking about. That's the page that they were on. But he was on another page. He was on the page of of, of wanting to come to die for the sins of humanity. He would be a blessing not just to the nation, but to the nations of the earth. Not not, not just to this Jewish family, but to all the families of the earth. He would be the source of blessing by which God would bless. They wanted a king to be proud of. They wanted a king to, to have a messianic kingdom that we can be proud of once again. But he had something better in mind, You know, we, uh, we, we may fall into the same, you know, trap sometime having an anticipation. Uh, but God having something better for us, but we can't see it at the moment, you know. I mean, how many of us, I mean, I could put myself in this category. How many of us, we came to Christ because of a crisis. We came to Christ because of a need. We came to Christ because, you know, a marriage was in was in disarray, or, or a loved one was sick, or there was a financial need. And, and, and so many of us come to Christ through a crisis. But then when we come to him, and when we found him, we found him to be more than a crisis manager. We found him to be more than a, a healer, more than one who brings comfort and peace. We find in him a friend who's a friend of sinners, who's a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, who's a who's a friend that loves at all times. And we won't leave him because we found in him not only somebody who can meet our temporal needs, and sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, but we found in him someone who could meet our eternal needs. See, they had temporal things in mind, but God had eternal things and thoughts in mind. So why did Jesus, why? why on this day are you doing it in this way to, to really kind of be in the face of the religious leaders? Because, because really today is like, like kind of the day, it was like the straw that broke the proverbial back of the camel. To, today, with, why, why Jesus, are you so much in the face of, of the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders who, who you know are plotting to kill you? It's like it's like you're, you're, he's purposely forcing their hand. And the, the question is, Why, Jesus, did you do what you did? And the answer is real simple. It's to fulfill the promise. To fulfill the promise. The promise and to fulfill all the promises that are written of him in the book. You know, Jesus lived by by, by that very idea that, that, that he came to do the Father's will. He came to do those things that were pleasing in his Father's sight, to be obedient to every jot and tittle that was written in the word and I mentioned this about a week or so or two ago that even from the cross, he says, "I thirst." though it probably was true that he was thirsty, yet it, the Bible says it was to fulfill what was written in Scripture. He lived by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. In less than a week, in less than a week, he would be executed. He didn't come as they expected. They expected the Messiah to be mighty, to be powerful, to bring judgment. But instead, this Messiah didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. This Messiah didn't come to extract justice upon his enemies. This Messiah came to satisfy the justice of God for his enemies. Didn't come to punish his enemies. He came to be punished for his enemies. This is a a Messiah like none other. This is a king like none other. Meek and humble, you know, riding on a donkey with tears in his eyes because of the voluntary sacrifice of himself which was about to take place. He wasn't demanding the blood of his enemies. He was going to provide the blood for his enemies. Think about it. It might be a small thing, right? But, but riding upon, a, actually, a lot of pictures, they kind of get it wrong. He wasn't riding on the older animal. He was riding on the baby donkey. And it might be a small point, but a donkey that has never been ridden before, like an animal or beast that has never been ridden, you just you don't just get on its back because it, it it'll be frightened it'll it'll try to buck you off. i mean that 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 would be the natural response. But here is this, here is this this dumb animal who is perfectly at peace. maybe it had more sense of of knowing that the one that was riding it was was its creator and maker. But Jesus, what were you thinking about? What kind of what kind of king comes in riding on a on a donkey? I mean, pharaohs come being pulled by chariots and steeds and generals and and, and kings come on horses that are brilliant and powerful. But here's another kind of king. It's funny, uh, uh you, when 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 Andrew was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I, I told everybody what Andrew said when I said, what did you think about when I said the promise? And he said, beautiful, beautiful women, All right? I'm going to get even now with Joey because Joey's downstairs and, and uh, he, you know, he, he thinks he's safe, but he's not. Uh, Joey is known uh, around as, he thinks of himself as a stallion among ponies. In the office, I took down the picture of Ray Romano, and it's signed to a stallion among ponies, Ray Romano. It's 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 legitimate. He got one of the kids in school at the green room to get to get his, his autograph from uh, from his brother who works at the school. Uh, I mean, that's what a man wants to be known as a stallion, not a donkey, not a pony. But this king, totally different, who comes in not the way that we expect. I was reading about a missionary. who was kind of sharing some of his experiences. And, and one of the things that he shared about, and I don't even know if it really dawned on him, but one of the things that he was saying was that when they were in a hotel in Nigeria, West Africa, he and his family, you know, they just got into the room. You know, like the night before, that was late, and and uh, there was a knock at the door. You know, and it was a Nigerian gentleman who had come to clean the room, and he was so embarrassed because there were suitcases and clothes just kind of spewed all over the the room. There were wet towels in the in the bathroom on the floor, and, and there was food that that had been eaten in a rush that night, and and the, the room was a mess, and he kept apologizing. He said, "I'm I'm so sorry." But, but, but this uh, Nigerian gentleman said this. He says, no problem, sir. For this reason, I've come to put your things in order. And I, I, when I read that, I said, that's the servant of God, the meek and the gentle Jesus who came to put our lives in order. The mess that we've made out of our lives, he's come. And so many of us in this room can testify, my life was a mess before Jesus came and he put my life in order. When I think of the word mess, uh, I usually think of uh, something that Kate said when, when uh, he was small, looking out the back window of her house, seeing all the leaves that were falling, he, he said, he said, Papa made a mess. You know, and, and and fact of the matter is, is that I do still make messes. In fact, I mentioned that last night. I heard my wife say, "I gotta clean this kitchen. It's a mess." And like you know, 15 minutes later, 10 minutes, later, I went into the kitchen and it was like, and and I've shared this before. She has this ability to clean the kitchen, the counter. I, I can't. I mean, I make a mess, but but. So I I yelled at I said, honey, the kitchen looks so clean. And she says, that's because I know what it's supposed to look like. And Jesus knows what we're supposed to look like. He has come to clean up our mess. And in just a few days from this day, Jesus would, would do what this day began, it began the acceleration of the day of sorrows. The, the man of sorrows acquainted with our grief. So Jesus comes in as the king weeping. God manifests Emmanuel in the flesh with a broken heart. And you know, the Bible, the Bible reveals that Jesus from the cross died. His heart literally ruptured. But his heart began to break before that for the lost, for those that would enter into an eternity without, without him, because he knew for the most part he would be despised and rejected of men, that men of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. But in just six weeks, in just six weeks from that day, Peter would stand up before a guilty nation, And he would say, this same Jesus whom you crucified, you desired Barabbas to be released to you, but this same Jesus God has raised from the dead and has seated him at his right hand and made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ. And then he offers this unconditional love and forgiveness. Arms open wide that Jesus, he says to Israel, Jesus, God has sent His Son first to you to bless you. For He's come not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. He's come not to punish His enemies, but to be punished for His enemies. That—that's that, His His first coming. You could read some of the events that will take place in His second coming when He comes not this time riding upon a donkey, but riding upon a war horse. And he's coming again a second time. That There's no doubt about that. In Tolkien's uh, trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, in the last story, the, the return of the king, there's an interesting uh, scene uh, in, the, in the book. I don't know if it's in the movie, but I know it's in the book. And, and, and the scene is this, that Aragon, the rightful king of the West, has labored long in obscurity, foregoing kingly comforts and and serving his subjects, fighting their battles for them. He's repeatedly risked his life, and he has now finally defeated the dark lord, and he's about to enter into his city and to take his rightful place as the king of that city. When Aragon enters the fortified city, the city steward begins to make this announcement to all of the citizens. He begins to declare the the pedigree of, of, of this man, Aragon. And he says, Here is Aragon, son of Arathon, chieftain and captain of the host of the west, bearer of the stars of the north, wielder of the sword reforged, victorious in battle with healing in his hands. Shall he be the king that will enter this city? That's the question that's asked. And there was another king who labored in obscurity, unherald, humble, serving his people, whom he had every right to rule and to reign over, laying down his life for them. And today that same king lays claim to the throne of our hearts. Will you receive him as Lord and King? Tim Keller uses this illustration. I don't know if it'll help you or not, but Dave, could I just use you for a minute? Dave Wester, just, just kind of stand up for a moment. Let's just imagine Dave's on the outside of the church looking in. And uh, I said to him, uh, Dave Wester, I said, Dave, Dave can come in, but leave Wester out. Uh, we don't want Wester to come in. We want Dave to come in, but, but Wester, you stay out. How, how could he do that? It's impossible because he is Dave Wester, right? Jesus is both Lord and Savior. We cannot have one without the other. And the Savior part of Jesus, thank you, Dave, is to require all of us. He wants the throne of our heart. The final place where Christ will make his royal entrance is in the heart, the human heart. I love what what Paul said. He said, he said, that God would strengthen you with might in your inner man, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. If you're here this morning and you have not experienced what it means for having Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith, you welcome him in. You invite him in. He will not come in by the force of power, he will not come in by the shedding of blood, but rather because his blood was shed, you can welcome him in as the king. Of glory, let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that we get the tears today, Lord. We understand the the weeping that you wept over the city of Jerusalem for the lost. We understand that, Lord. We we see that. We hear that, Lord God. And I, I just pray now that some in this room this morning would fully get it, if they've never came to that place of, of acceptance of you. if they've never received you as their savior, that today that they will throw open the doors of their heart and receive you as both Lord and savior, that you are king of kings and Lord of lords. And here's the, here's the wonderful thing, that, that, that your promise, oh, your promise is so much greater than our expectation for the promise is always, always greater than what we could have ever possibly imagined or anticipated. God, even now this morning, I pray for some that need encouragement. I pray that you will do in their life what you've done for me and so many others in this place, that you do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask for or think. Because your promises are in Jesus Christ, yes. Amen.